Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I've never been a deer, but you know what? I've been thirsty. Some of y'all are looking at me like, well, you could be a deer, I guess, you know. Never been a deer, but I've been thirsty, and I know what it's like to have that thirst finally quenched. It's the best feeling ever, amen. You're, you're outside on a hot summer day, and for me, I mow my own grass. I don't know about you, but, but, you know, I have a particular way that I like it done, and I don't trust anybody else in my yard. It's just the way I'm wired, and it's the way that, that I was raised. But usually on those days where I'm, I'm, I'm outside and I'm cutting the yard and I choose to do it at pretty foolish times. It's like 4 o'clock and, you know, I go outside to cut the yard and it's like 105 degrees and humid. And I'm out there and usually I'll finish the backyard and by the time I get to start on the front yard, I send a text to my girls. I'm like, somebody bring me water. I'm about to collapse out here. I'm about to die. But when you're refreshed... And you drink that water, it's the best thing ever, amen? It's the best thing that could happen in that moment. And that is what yearning for God is. It's not yearning for things. It's not yearning for anything outside of God. It's yearning for God himself. He alone satisfies, amen? E is for expecting. That means that when you pray, you believe in your heart that you will receive what you are asking for. You see, prayer is, is, a, is an action of faith. It's something that happens that, that you do, you know, even though you're not physically seeing God, maybe stand in front of you or touching God, you're believing that what you are asking for can be done. And you believe it as so as though you've received it in your hand even before it happens. Amen. And R is for receiving. I love to pray, and when I pray, the, the most awesome thing about prayer is receiving it's a great reward to know that when I prayed the Lord answered that when I prayed the Lord you know did that thing he he came through and so this morning I want to continue with you for the next few moments on the topic of prayer it was the disciples who asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11 he they asked him that important question they said Lord teach us how to pray Teach us how to pray. Did you know, church, that, that, you know, we ask God for lots of things, but, you know, sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Amen? Sometimes we ask God for things that he's already given us. And it, and it sounds kind of foolish when you play it back and, you know, I, I, I've prayed prayers and I've seen myself on YouTube and I play it back and I say, man, he already gave us that. <laughs> you say, God, rend open the heavens. They're already open. They're already open. We ask for things sometimes that are already established. Why do we have to ask for it again if it's already been given to us? It's the other things that the Lord is wanting us to, to seek him for. And so of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus for, they didn't ask for miracle working power. They didn't ask to be you know, powerful men of influence. They didn't ask even for wisdom. They simply said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they had picked up on something, church, that every time he went away with his father, he came back endowed with power. Every time Jesus went away, every time he went off into the wilderness and the disciples were, were, were there, every time Jesus would come back endowed with the power of God. And they didn't say, God, we, 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 we teach us how to be powerful. They said, teach us how to pray. Because we know that when you pray and who you are praying to, it yields a result that we cannot get anywhere else. 
and through anything else. And so they knew that when Jesus would come back, he was empowered by his Father and he would speak as the Father spoke. And so a quick recap, John chapter 5 verse 19 says this, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you the Son can do nothing by himself, but he can only do what he sees his Father doing. This is because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you would be amazed. When you spend personal time with the Lord, church, it opens your eyes to see so many things, to see God himself and what God is desiring you to do. This is why Jesus says the Son can only do what the Father is telling him. Do you know, church, that we're supposed to live like Jesus? Amen. If he's the head and we're the body, guess what? We're supposed to go where the head is leading us. Last time I checked, a detached head wouldn't look very good on the body of Christ. I heard some weird thing this week, and I'll share it with you. I guess it's kind of irrelevant, but I'll share it anyways. There was a chicken here in Texas that lived 18 months with his head cut off. And it's crazy because there's still churches that are open with the, without the head of Jesus leading them. There's still people that are functioning and saying that they're children of God, sons and daughters of God. People that are living for God, but yet they go with a completely different Direction that the head is leading. When you spend personal time with the Lord, it opens your eyes to see what he sees. And that cannot be achieved or accomplished in any other way. I'm thankful for our pastor. Amen. How many of you are thankful for our pastor? And I'm thankful... That God has given us a man of God that listens to God. Forget who said it, but there was a famous preacher that said, listen to no man who has not first listened to God. And in the place of prayer, that's where we engage with the Lord. A people that pray reveal utter dependence upon God's voice to lead them and to give them life. Matthew 4 and 4, this is, we know this story, but Jesus had just came out of 40 days of fasting. You did seven. Try doing 40. But he just came out of 40 days of fasting, and the enemy begins to, to tempt him right away. And he says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus responds, he says, it is written, man should not live on bread alone. Now, that's a great diet. Amen? Sounds like a great diet. All of us might, might learn from that. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Did you know, church, that this came from the mouth of God? Amen? I said, did you know that? This is not subjective. This is not something that is compromisable. We can't just, you know, keep one page and tear out the other. But man lives from this. This is the bread of heaven. Amen. Jesus is the bread of heaven. 
And so an individual that doesn't pray cannot know the will of God. You'll get that in a second. Let me explain it this way. How many of you know what a stethoscope is? Stethoscope's a little thing they put on your heart when you go to the doctor. So prayer is the stethoscope to hearing the heartbeat of God. You cannot hear his heart and thank God for pastor, thank God for, for a, a minister like myself. I'm relaying what I heard. But guess what? You have access to hear what I hear. Amen? I'm relaying to you what I have heard from God. But guess what? You can hear him on your own. I have to just maybe debunk something because there's a lot of Catholicism in the region that we live. And there's a lot of people that get so used to hearing and just relying on the priest or the minister to hear God for them when God has given you access as well. Amen. Everybody say, Lord, teach us to pray. An individual that has forgotten their need for God will ultimately live independent of his voice. Now, why am I mentioning all this? Because if Jesus, who is God's son, if Jesus, who is literally the son of God, prayed to his father for strength, prayed to his father for comfort, for guidance, to know his will, how much more should we pray? If him knowing the word better than any of us could ever know the word because he is the living word, if he prayed and said, God, strengthen me, if he prayed and said, God, comfort me, if he prayed and said, God, I need to know your will, how much more should we? We can't rely on human reasoning anymore, church. We cannot rely on human logic anymore because guess what? That's going to get you into big trouble. That's why we make the mistakes that we make because God never told us to do certain things. But we relied on our own strength outside of the power of God. And we're operating outside of the power of God because we don't pray. It's time for the church to pray again. Can somebody say amen this morning? Billy Sunday said, if you are a stranger to prayer, you are a stranger to the greatest source of power known to human beings. If you are a stranger to prayer, then you are a stranger to the greatest power source ever known to mankind. Oh, how I wish the church knew what a stadium full of people knew in Buffalo, New York. Oh, how I wish the church knew. Many of you saw the news and the headlines and there's a young man by the name of DeMar Hamlin who collapsed on the field in that football game in, in Buffalo a few weeks ago. And they had to have team, team medics and EMTs and people rush the field and he had to be resuscitated on the field. And it was this whole shocking event that took place literally on national TV on a Monday night football game where they've got millions and millions of viewers. And what was so crazy was that you know, this whole thing happens and there's gentlemen, they're going to work on this man and they're, they're trying to, you know, resuscitate his life. They're giving him CPR and they're doing these things to bring him back to life because he literally collapsed and he flatlined. And guess what? All of a sudden the teams began to surround him and they began to bow their knee and they began to pray over this young man's life. Because there was a life that was in the balance. All of a sudden there was fans in the stands reciting the Lord's prayer. Say, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, Lord. Strengthen this man, God. And all of a sudden on social media there's people praying and praying and praying and praying. Church, I wish we knew how to pray. 
Because if the world can show us the example of the power of prayer, then how much more should we pray? How much more should we be engaged with the one who has all power, church? How crazy is it that we have to see the world teach us what we should know? How crazy is that? That blows my mind that even they know the power of prayer. That even they know that it works. That even they know that when people pray, something can happen. Only the miraculous. And guess what? God will move and God will intervene and God will intercede on their behalf and a miracle will happen. Three days after they prayed for that young man, as he was pronounced dead on the field, he revived in a hospital room. Now I'm grateful for our medics and I'm grateful for our nurses and our doctors and all those people. I am thankful for them. But guess what? There is still a master physician church who is able to answer the cries of his people. Can somebody say amen? John Piper said prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in confidence that he will provide the help that we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and it exalts God as wealthy. See, people that pray know they need God. People that pray and get up every single day, they know that they need God. They know that without praying, without engaging with the Father, they will not make it through the day. And if they make it, they were riding purely on his grace but they were still missing his assignment. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, and this is going to be our main text for the next few moments. Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let's pray for the word this morning. Lord, we bless your holy name and we thank you, God. Thank you for your church, Lord, your people. God, I thank you for these Wonderful hearts, God, and souls, Lord, that I believe are here because they desire to know you more. And so, Lord, teach us from your word today. Holy Spirit, take a hold of my words, Lord. And, Father, just make them your own, Lord, and, and just allow, Lord, your spirit to flow through my life. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Fervent prayer will save your life. A fervent prayer life it will save your life. Jesus prayed, church, like somebody who needed to see the salvation of God. Did you know that? Jesus prayed like somebody that needed to see the salvation of God. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus needed to be born again. That's not what I'm saying. He was and is before all things, amen. He has supremacy over all that. But what I am saying, church, is that Jesus knew the plan of the Father for his life because he was engaged to the Father. Amen. He knew that he would ultimately be led to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world upon a cross. And so I am I'm saying this because Jesus knew the plan of God for his life and that it was ultimately going to be that plan where he would give his life for you and for me. And he knew he would eventually bear the scorn. 
He knew he would eventually bear shame. He knew that he would be ridiculed. He would be chastised, accused, and the sins of all mankind would be placed upon his body. And he prayed. And he sought the Father. And he sought after God to strengthen his life. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 that he would take upon himself the iniquity of all men. And yet, church, he offered prayer and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? When was the last time that you prayed like your life depended on it? When was the last time that we truly engaged in prayer like our life depended on it, like your soul depended on it? It was said any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Anything that we don't choose to engage God in prayer with, don't complain about it. Say, oh, I'm going through all this, Pastor Duke, and Pastor, I need your prayers. And, and you know what? That's fine. That's what we're here for. I love to pray for people. I love, I love it when, you know, people, you know, just want to come into agreement. That's fine. That's all part of it. But listen, if it's too small to be turned into a prayer, it's too small to be made into a burden. Take it to him in prayer. Take it to him in prayer. The last time I checked, eternity is a long time in comparison to your lifespan on earth. Amen? And if Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, we need to pray. We need to engage with God. We need to pray every single day. And if Jesus showed and modeled for us what a life of prayer looks like, he showed us that it was absolutely necessary. How much more urgency should we pray with? Jesus is the son. He's ready. He's going. He's going to make it. You and me, we need to pray. We need to pray. We need help. Some of y'all can't make it to two services a week. Help us, Lord. Say, say help us, God. Some of us can't pray for our meal when we're, we're at work. Help us, God. Amen. Help us, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Teach us how to pray. F.B. Meyer said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but the unoffered prayer. It's not an unanswered prayer, but it's the unoffered prayer. We must pray about all things, church. And even if it's not a request that you ask, it should be thankfulness that you give him. It should be praise that flows from your lips to say, God, I'm awake today. God, I'm breathing, I'm alive, I have a heartbeat, Lord. I still have an opportunity, Lord, to, to, to engage with people on this earth. I still have the opportunity to share Jesus with people in this world. What a blessing that is, God. I'm grateful, Lord, I'm thankful. At different times of Jesus' life and ministry, we found that he withdrew from the crowds to pray. And in Jesus' greatest physical and mental challenge, he asked the disciples a question that I believe he's still asking the church today. In Matthew chapter 26, we find that he had been betrayed by Judas, one of his own. 
He had been betrayed by somebody that was within, that knew, you know, the plan of God for his life that was around him every day for the last three and a half years. And Jesus knew his time was drawing near. He knew his time was drawing near to fulfill the Father's plan. So he takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here we find what he's about to tell them in Matthew 26 and 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Do you know? That Jesus was a man of many sorrows? Do you know that the pains and the hurts and the sorrows and the things that you go through and have gone through, he can relate to? Amen? He's not some deity that's far away that doesn't relate to your life, but he understands full well what you've been through. He understood in this moment that his life was about to be given as a ransom for the sins of the world. And so he was sorrowful. He was troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Can I tell you, church, that in the Lord's Prayer, this is something that we must always pray. Lord, I want to I wanna get married one day, God, and I want to have children, God, and I want to I do ministry, God, and I want to have a big house, Lord, and I want to go to this place, and I want to go to that place, Lord. And in the book of James, it talks about you say that you want to go here and there, and you want to do business, and you want to do these things about tomorrow, but it says you should be praying if it's God's will. You should be praying if it's God's will, then I will go there. We make plans all the time outside of the will of God, church. And we need to start asking him again and say, Lord, yet not as I will, but as you will. As you will, Lord. That's what it looks like when he is Lord. You don't make the decisions. He does. You don't call the shots. He does. So you submit yourself to him and says, yet not as I will, but as you will. He returned to his disciples and guess what? He found them sleeping. When he needed them the most, when he was in the greatest moment of his life, when he was under the most spiritual attack, he needed them to come through. He needed them to watch and stay alert and pray as he had asked them. And what did they do? Fell asleep. There's a saying that says, you know, we ask for revival and we ask for an awakening. You know what? And that's a great thing. It's a good thing to ask for those things from God, amen. It's a good thing to, to pray those prayers over the church. And I believe that Jesus, as he asked them, couldn't you just stay up with me for an hour and stay awake? He still asks us today. I shared this testimony a few weeks ago when I began this message. And I, and I shared with you, church, that when my father was going through his battle with pancreatic cancer, the Lord woke me up every morning at 3.30 a.m. for two years. It's not a lie. And at first I would wake up and, and I was kind of like, okay, it's 3.30. What am I going to do? Family is asleep. You know, kids are asleep. And what is this all about? And there was this intention behind the heart of God because he wanted to engage. He knew that I needed his love. He knew that I needed his strength. He knew that I needed his comfort. And just like an alarm clock would go off every morning at 3.30, I could just feel the hand of God just 
And for a few weeks or however long it was, I remember I would, I would, I would first just kind of lay awake and I didn't know what to do. And then all of a sudden I realized it was an invitation from God to step into his presence. And you know, church, that the Lord is, is so loving and inviting. He knows what we need and he knows the pains and the sorrows and the hurts and the things that, that you go through on a daily basis. And he lovingly just taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm here. Let's talk. And every morning, I remember I'd begin to pray and I'd just weep before the Lord. I would weep and my heart was broken and, I, and sometimes I was frustrated. Sometimes I was angry. Sometimes I was just worn out and it didn't matter what it was. I could come to him with it. And he taught me in that moment that that's actually what prayer is. It's just being genuine before him. Just being real before him. It's just getting on your face before him so that you can speak with him. I believe that the Lord's awake all the time, but I believe he's mostly awake early in the morning. And I know what the scripture says. You don't have to correct me. He never sleeps nor slumbers. But God will wake you up in that time where it can be just you and him. And if it's that 5 a.m. prayer life that you need to establish with him, then do it. Facebook can wait. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Social media can wait. It wastes a lot of your time. How much better of time spent would it be to spend time with the king of glory? With the God of the heavens, with the God of the universe? Because when you come out from that place, you look a lot like him. You sound a lot like him. He returns to the disciples. He finds them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. He said, so watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, when Jesus was praying, they slept. And you know what? I'm thankful for our God. John chapter 17 talks about how the Lord intercedes for his people, amen, and that he prays over your life. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about how he is the great high priest. He is the great intercessor. He's the one who goes to battle on your behalf every single day so that you can stand righteous before God. And I'm thankful that church, that even in those moments when we need our rest, he's praying for us. Amen. Are you grateful for that this morning? But if Jesus asked them to stay awake and pray so they wouldn't fall into temptation, then what does sleeping in and not praying do? What is just being lazy and not getting up and not engaging with God? What does it do for your life? In fact, it will weaken your life so that you will eventually fall into temptation. So that you'll eventually succumb to the vices and the, and the, and the design of the enemy. And so in order to be strengthened in the spirit, guess what, church? We must never cease to pray. One of the shortest verses in the Bible is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 17, it says this. It says, pray continually. How often? Every day. In the morning? Yeah. At night? Sure. In the afternoon? Absolutely. Pray what? Continually. Let it be a lifestyle. Let it be a, a portion of your life that is, that is always devoted to this. Now, guess what? You can pray at every moment of the day. 
Sometimes prayer looks like kneeling, you know, in your closet or in your room, you know, you know, in front of your bed or whatever and, and being on your face before God. But other times it looks like being in the middle of work and having chaotic situations go on around you. And yet you in the in the in the depths of your heart, you begin to pray and say, Lord, just just steal this moment. God, just bring peace to the situation. Lord, just comfort this individual that needs your love. Prayer is not always an audible thing. Did you know that? Prayer can be prayed from your heart. It can be prayed from your soul. It can be prayed from the spirit. The Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 8 that the spirit himself intercedes for us. If we don't know what to pray, he will tell us what to pray. And if we don't know how to pray, he'll pray for you. But guess what? He always prays in accordance to the will of God. Spiritually weak Christians make up a powerless church. Spiritually weak Christians will make up ultimately a powerless church. And so it is time to pray to the only God who can save us, to the only God who can redeem us, to the only God who can set us free and deliver us and who loves us. It's time to pray to him again. It's time for the church to fervently pray to God once again. To be fervent, that actually means this, to be fervent for God means to have a deep focused, passion-filled heart for God. It means to align ourselves with God. A praying church is in line with God. Amen? A church that doesn't pray is not aligned with God. The second thing that Hebrews teaches us is that reverent submission leads to answered prayer. How many of you want answered prayer? Amen. How many of you, you know, you're praying some things and stop praying for the lottery. Stop it. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Oh, Lord, I know if I just pray, God, I know, I know it's your will. I claim it, God. I receive it, God, over my life. Stop it. Reverent submission leads to answered prayer. Let's read Hebrews 5 and 7 again. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. John chapter 6 in, in verse 38, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what reverent submission looks like. That's what reverent submission looks like. It's not to do your own will, but it's to submit yourself to him. Living for the will of God is reverent submission, and it keeps the ears of God tuned to your prayers. You read in James chapter 5, you know, you've heard the verse, the prayer of a righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. 1 Peter 3 and 12 says the eyes of the Lord are on the who? Read it with me. For the eyes of the Lord are on the, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You want God turned against you? Or do you want God turned towards you? Do you want God you know, to be in opposition of your life because you're not living in submission to him? Or do you want God to hear and be attentive to your prayers? I believe that everybody wants to have heard prayers. Amen. Then listen, we need to concern our life with more of him and less about ourselves. So that our prayer life begins to change not for the things that we want and the things that we desire, but for what he desires. 
for what he wants. Matthew 6 and 33 breaks it down for us in a very simple way. It says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things would be given to you as well. If you read the prior 32 verses, you'll find out that they're asking for things. And it says that the Lord knows that you already need them. So instead, what is the asking supposed to be? It's to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. More often times that when you are just plain, flat out seeking God and you're, you're just chasing after God for himself. That Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 11 talks about how the reward of prayer is himself. That when you're praying and when you're seeking God and you're going into that secret place, you will discover him. And guess what? In him is all things. Amen. You want a better job? Pray to him. Don't pray for the job. Pray to him. Oh, you want breakthrough? You want good health? You want good, you know, things in your life? Listen, just go to him. It's when you don't go to him that all those things stay outside. It's when you don't go to him and you desire him for himself that all the things that you've been asking for, you're praying for things that he doesn't want you to have. You're praying for things that will destroy your life. You're praying for things saying, oh, God, make me a millionaire, God, because I'm going to give it all to the people. No, you're not. No, you won't. You know that God withholds blessings from his people because he knows that sometimes they're not ready to handle it and they're not ready to, to resource it. They're not ready to manage it and it will ultimately destroy them. So he will never give you anything before it's time. He has to prepare you to receive the blessing. He has to prepare you to get ready to receive that which he wants for your life. Part of my testimony is for four years, my wife and I prayed to have a child. And guess what? God told me he wasn't ready. It's not that the prayer hadn't been answered. The prayer had already been answered. God had established it that we were going to have children. But guess what? I wasn't ready to father them. That's just honest. Can we be honest? God's like, listen, son, I could give this to you. But you're not ready to steward it yet. And when we go outside of the will of God is when we make decisions that benefit ourselves outside of his timing. And guess what? When it's outside of his timing, it never works. It doesn't work. It will be a burden. It will be a challenge. It will always be this thing. And sometimes we try to manufacture the blessings of God and God's like, stay still. I wanted a house in 2015 and God's like, sorry, son, wait. I tried all different avenues and all different doors, and it wasn't because we weren't approved or we didn't have money and nothing like that. It was because it wasn't God's time. When you pray, you hear. When you pray, you come into that Kairos moment where you understand when and how and why. And guess what? Some things the Lord will say, guess what? I'll give you that, but not yet. That's still an answered prayer. Oh, no, God, but I want it now. No, 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 wait and pray. Be patient. Oswald Chambers said, we have to pray with our eyes on God and not on our problems. We have to pray with our eyes on God and not on our circumstance or our difficulties. Did you know, church, that the enemy loves nothing more but to consume your heart and your mind and your life and flood you with all kinds of problems? Because guess what? The weight of your burdens will paralyze your flesh. 
The weight of the things that you go through will ultimately paralyze your flesh. Remember, the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so if the enemy can't get you to take the bait of temptation, then he'll ask God to allow you to be tested. And did you know, church, that sometimes we need that testing to take us into a place of testimony? But Hebrews 5 and 8 says, son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? Many of you are probably going through a challenge or a difficult moment in your life. But are you learning obedience from what you're suffering? It's been said this way, never, you know, despise your desert or never curse your crises. Because there's something that's happening. There's something that's being made in you. There's something that's being developed in your life that is producing ultimately godly fruit and godly character. But I pray that whatever you're going through today will ultimately lead you into greater obedience to him. Amen. Into a greater obedience to the Lord. Great suffering produces godly submission. You know, church, it's so much easier to bend your knee than to have it pushed down by the hand of God. It's so much easier to willfully just do this. Now, I got bad knees, so that was a sacrifice for me right now. Pray I can stand back up. It's so much easier to do this than it is to have circumstances of life press you down. Because sometimes God actually has to go, okay. You don't want to bend? Going to bend yet? If Jesus, being the Son of God, learned obedience from suffering, then we must welcome trial. We must welcome difficulty in our life because what causes us to bend our knees and pray for God's deliverance or God's help or God's salvation is never a bad thing. Charles Spurgeon said this, Anything is a blessing which makes us pray. And finally this morning, prayer always leads us to the one who can save us. Hebrews 5 and 9 says, And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who, what? Obey him. Walking with God down the avenues of prayer, it, we acquire something of his likeness. And unconsciously, we become witnesses to others because of his beauty and his grace in your life. See, there's many men and women that pray and they take on that countenance of God. They reflect God. Amen. And you cannot help but sit face to face with God and not be transformed. Amen. You cannot help but be transformed. And the whole purpose of your transformation that happens in that secret place of prayer is so that we can represent him well as witnesses to this world. Amen. How many of you know that there's a lot of people that still need Jesus today? Amen. There's a lot of people that still need to know the Lord. There's countries and nations and there's, and there's groups and communities of people that, that desperately need to know him. And I said this at the end of the first message that I had preached on prayer. Do you know what, church? We owe the world to look like Jesus. We owe it to them. Because if, in fact, he has truly saved you, if, in fact, he is your Lord, then you must look and represent him well. We can't do God's will with the arms of flesh. 
We need the Spirit of God. Can somebody say amen? Because the battle is not won on a battlefield, but the battle is won in prayer. If you've ever felt like your relationship with God is failing, it's because you're not praying. If you ever feel like sometimes it seems like this world is just going to to hell and they're just on the fast track there and they're just, you know, completely, you know, all that stuff. And that they're never going to get right. They're never going to whatever. Listen, church, if you feel like even the church is failing, it's because the church isn't praying. What mobilizes the church is prayer. Because prayer is that place where you get the assignment of God, where you get the countenance of God, where you are changed and transformed into the likeness of God so that you can represent him well and you can tell others about him. If you don't represent him well, no one will listen to your message. If you don't represent Jesus well, nobody's going to listen to your message. They're not going to listen to anything you have to say because you're just fighting with people on Facebook. (laughs) They're not going to listen to anything you have to say because you're just judging your neighbor and you're just judging people in the house of God. They're not going to listen to that. Guess what? If they barely listen to Jesus, they surely aren't going to listen to you. No man church is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers and few people clinging to the foot of the cross. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much passion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here in prayer, then we fail everywhere. Failing here, then guess what? We fail everywhere. The world needs Jesus. And Jesus needs the church to look like him. Genesis chapter 1 talks about how we were created in the image of God. Amen? That's not just to save people. Did you know that? And it actually talks about there's a stern warning against those who chastise and judge others that are not yet saved, that have not yet given their hearts to Jesus. Because guess what? They are still made in the image of God. And the most confusing thing thing to the world is a Christian who looks like their past. The most confusing story to the world is a Christian who looks like they've never been saved. And so guess what? It's time to do as the book of Colossians says. In Colossians 3 and verse 10, it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Do you know that we need to put him on? And prayer is that place where it happens. Engaging with the Lord is that place where it happens, where all of a sudden we're not clothed with our flesh. We're not clothed with our wickedness. We're not clothed with our evil deeds. We're not clothed with our past. But all of a sudden we look like him because we have put him on. Did you put on Jesus today? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate. That word contemplate here actually means to reflect. 
It says, we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I pray, church, that in your life and in this journey that you've had with God, in this walk with God that you've had, that you're not becoming more religious, but you're becoming more like Jesus. That you're not trending downward because you've been in church a long time and you've sang all the songs and you've been there and done that. Guess what? That is religion. At the end of the day, we should become more and more like Jesus and look more and more like Jesus as every day that goes by. And guess what? The only way we can reflect Jesus is by praying. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says, And so pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It says, With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. You know what the Bible says about those who curse us? What are we supposed to do? Bless them. Those who hate you, what are you supposed to do? Pray for them. <laughs> Notice we never pray for folks that we gossip about. <laughs> Obed and me get it. I said, notice we never pray for folks that we gossip about, and we never gossip about folks for whom we pray. Because prayer is a great defense. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org.